0: Glory.
1: Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest.
2: Christopher, how are you? doing well kirk uh you we got a chance to have a uh, easter dinner zoom your family my family and and my father up in northern minnesota that was great to have a meal with you guys and if i'm we may get a chance to talk about zoom later in the episode but uh it is interesting as i grieve the loss of of meeting in the flesh uh zoom has uh, kind of forced us into social interactions that we may not have, uh, encountered in the past. So we've, we've never said, Hey, let's set up a, a zoom so that we can have a meal together. We've never done that. And on Easter, we did that. So that was, that was pretty neat. It was the, other really- the, the other crazy thing, uh, and this is just South Dakota in the spring in, in April, uh, the weather can be can vary unbelievably from day to day from year to year we almost always have a blizzard in easter uh easter can be absolutely gorgeous or uh you know it can be in the teens and uh with uh snow piling up and we woke up on easter morning with about five inches of snow on the ground and um winds blowing and blizzard conditions uh i mean next week it's gonna be basically summer uh it's so it's it's uh we, we had one last uh, blast of snow and 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 the kids uh, I was shoveling the driveway and burying my son in the snow so that that <laughs> not not too typical of Easter's
1: yeah um well two, two things leap to mind uh, first of all this wasn't just kind of a dusting um you sent a video of um, the Alleluias that had been buried <laughs> on last Sunday uh, before Lent. And uh, you uh, lured your son out. You're like, hey, what do we have here? And uh, there was enough snow to like bury a box. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> to bury a
1: box with all the hallelujahs in it. So uh, so I, I got a kick out of that. And But it also got me to thinking, uh, you and I grew up uh, in Orr, Minnesota, basically 20 miles from the Canadian border. And uh, um, we would sing on Easter Sundays, we would sing songs that would, uh, Easter hymns that would use metaphors of... Uh, hmm blossoms and spring and greenery and um, as often as not we'd look outside and we would just see slush (laughs) or snow on the ground or mud or uh, the 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 beauty of of green and flowering spring rarely reached us but we but we uh dutifully plowed through those uh those eastern metaphors nonetheless (laughs) um yeah so it reminded me of that now where i live in pittsburgh now um we, we usually have daffodils and um, some of the earlier flowering trees have fully flowered. Our plum tree has flowered. So that's kind of what we like to take our Easter picture in front of. So, so we were not, we were not covered in white like you were, um, <laughs> but that's, that's another metaphor. Uh, the other, the other thing that I noticed um, while we were zooming is uh, j- like how our children, um, their idea of zooming is to stick their mash, their face up against the, uh, the, the camera and to to scream into it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, do you remember do you remember us looking at uh, videos that our parents took home videos that our parents took um we essentially did the same thing
2: mm-hmm. um so if we knew if we knew that we were that the camera's on us like we'd put our face right up against it and, <laughs> yes yeah yeah well and when when our kids facetime it takes a lot of encouragement for them to engage rather than just play around with stickers and and backgrounds and uh, like mustaches and uh, filters and things like that yeah that's the fun part of facetiming not necessarily communicating with the other person
1: right right yes
2: and you, you raised something that i haven't thought about for a long time just regarding springs up up uh in our hometown and and that's that uh spring was by far my least favorite season. And, and, and it was just because everything was just slushy and melty. Um, that, that was, those are my memories of spring is, is meltiness. Cause, uh, it would be cold enough to where the snow wouldn't really melt during the winter, meaning it would just accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And when that melted, it was just, um, you know, the, the sand and, and salt they'd put on the roads would be revealed. And, uh, it was just a yucky, n- not the best season up, up North.
1: Well, yeah. So the roads would finally would finally melt, and all the sand that had been dumped on the roads the entire year, the entire winter, um, it would be in the first four feet of our lawn, <laughs> yeah, which was up against the highway. And uh, you know, all throughout June, as you're mowing, it would. You'd, I I always felt like there was still residue of that all that crud, the sand and the ashes and the cinders or whatever whatever they would put down to try to fight the, the northern winter in vain. Um, but do you remember as well? Uh spring, spring was weird. Uh winter had a tenacious grip that it really um took a while to to peel its cold dead fingers off of northern Minnesota. Uh we we would have warm days. I don't know what I mean by warm, 40, 50 degrees. <laughs> where do you remember looking at pictures, Christopher? We're out on the lake, on the ice on the lake, in shorts and a t-shirt, and you yeah. can tell the snow's yeah. melted in our backyard in the background. But we're on the lake because there's still, whatever, a good 10 inches of, of safe ice. And yeah. that would be, would you say it's, there There were times when that lasted into Easter, That I'm sorry, not Easter, into April?
2: That's oh, safe to oh certainly, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's there's no normal winter. Um, I mean, what we uh, assumed was normal, I think, were the first winters we were there. And then if it were any warmer than that, uh, we'd be like, oh, this isn't normal. But um, yeah, yeah. Typically, Dad would always, I think, write down. I bet yes. if we asked him, he would yeah. know. But uh, I think the first winter we were there, it was mid-April, uh, mid to late April when the ice went out uh, of, of the lake, and then, um, uh, gosh, but there were probably some years that that it went out in March. Uh, it, it was all a process, and I, I'm, and and again, and there'd be weird winters, like, so we lived right on a lake. Uh, our our backyard like we we looked out our windows right onto the lake it was it was beautiful we faced west and, and saw these gorgeous sunsets over the lake um mm. but but our lake was always covered with snow i remember one winter we tried to shovel a little uh skating rink and that was really hard to do but uh there was one christmas uh that you came back it was i think your freshman year of college that you came back and there had been an odd thaw and then, uh, and then a refreeze where we could actually skate all across the bay. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, that was wild. I do, I do. So, and then, and then means- one, and then one winter. I remember one spring rather. Uh, I remember a lot of the snow on the lake melted, and there was like four inches of water on top of really, really solid ice. And as a kid, like it seemed so irresponsible for our very responsible and conservative parents to. Do you remember they they we drove out on the lake like spraying water everywhere like it was a very odd <laughs> sensation for it to be warm for to just water on top of ice and we're just like driving 30 miles an hour with the windows down in case we broke through the ice which is kind of a crazy thing to think about um and and water's just spraying everywhere just a weird weird sensation
1: do you recall what dad would call um the ice in march or april when it was starting to become suspect
2: he would call it rotten and
1: you'd call him on that rotten. Like ice can't be rotten <laughs> something like something in the science part of my brain just really recoiled against that I'm like that's not that's not what you mean but i <laughs> but I, I get what he means yeah um dad was this is such a craig thing um he would every autumn record the first the, the first morning he woke up woke he woke up and the bay was frozen and then he would record breakup and so he had this journal that accumulated over through through the 90s of um kind of measuring fall like when when how how measuring how long ice covered
2: yeah. the lake which would typically so be you, sometime in November through sometime in April,
1: yeah, do you remember we had, a, we had a Halloween party one year um so october thirty first and uh, and the ice was covered. I remember that because um one <laughs> of our friends Chris klakowski took a big stone out of our uh, backyard and heaved it um, like uh like in those Scottish Olympics where they heave. Um, <laughs> Where they heave like the the logs Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what that's called. And yet you know, like that was the style that he did it. He heaved it out onto the uh, the lake um, to, to to make it break through and it didn't. It just lodged itself there. Because immediately that part, we could no longer use that portion for a skating rink. Like we couldn't shovel no, no. that.
2: Yeah. That was the one year that we had the skating rink, if you recall. Yeah. yeah. But, but so, he wasn't the only one we were all chucking stuff, like trying to see like how big of a rock it would take to, to break yeah. the ice.
1: Oh, so you do remember that.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. Um, But
1: if you've never, if you've never been on a lake that's frozen, um, you probably think that, it's great you go out there you 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 skate you can just skate forever and it's not like that um the night that it freezes uh, that the surface freezes there has to be no wind and because if there's any wind at all you get these weird ripples and um, and bumps and lumps and so more often than not it's super lumpy wouldn't you say
2: hard to say because for most of the winter, there's snow on top of it. So
1: right, right. But I'm saying even if you go about, if you go to the effort of trying to shovel it, and what you're going to find underneath isn't the ice rink that you're picturing. That's under sure, there. Sure, sure. And and, and, and any true. any
2: outdoor rinks, uh, I mean, it would be the same thing. Like, and what they do is they flood it. They routinely yeah. will kind of fill yeah. in those cracks. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, another fun thing that that. Uh, I did this week was uh, Monday night. So ESPN is desperately trying to keep their ratings up, trying to get people to watch stuff. So uh, they're they're showing historic games. And uh, they showed um, 2009 uh, Minnesota Vikings hosting Green Bay Packers. This was the Brett Favre Green Bay Packer, the first game, when Brett Favre came back as a Minnesota Viking um, to face, what, Aaron Rodgers in his second year? And uh, our uncle Mike is super pumped out about this. And he said that he came out of football retirement. I think the whole concussion scandal had kind of nudged him um, into probably a three or four period, year period now where he's not really watched football, but he, uh, but he happily came out for that and, um, and uh, set up a group chat. And so it's just fun to watch that. That was 11 years ago, 2009. Um, a lot of water under the bridge, both in terms of football and culturally, um, I didn't get to share this with you. One thing that culturally that, that really struck me as odd as we were watching that game was uh, this was, so this was in back when the Vikings played in the Metrodome, um, which was just this concrete hulk. <laughs> it was good at what it, what it did, which was pack in um, 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 people and uh, create a loud arena and uh, and a big home field advantage, um, but it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't elegant. It wasn't pretty. Um, and it, but anyhow, uh, one of the one of the products that was being advertised um, along uh, on, on one of the screens was two thousand nine, two thousand ten Minnesota Vikings swimsuit calendars. Huh. And
2: I thought to myself,
1: man, that is not something you'd see now in an NFL stadium. No. Don't you agree?
2: I'd agree. Yeah. Although they, uh, though they will gladly have scantily clad dancers at each game.
1: Yeah. Maybe 10 years away from uh, not having that as well. Um, It just seems like something I, sometimes you and I, I let let me just speak for myself, like to inveigh against um, (laughs) the sins of the culture. I think, that's one aspect in which there's, there's been an actual awakening to the good. The fact that that struck me as odd that they would hmm. uh, advertise a swimsuit edition. So I noticed, I noticed that. Um, did you, did you, did you get to watch it or were you just kind of following the text thread?
2: I, I did not. I was not able to watch it now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was great to Brett Favre um, had a, they interviewed him after the game and I'd forgotten how funny he is and just how goofy and weird of a person he is. Huh. And so this was only a game three or four, game four, I think, of him coming back. So so the offense was still fairly cautious, fairly conservative. They had, hadn't um, kind of expanded uh, the playbook for him. So they were still running pretty simple sets and simple plays and stuff. Um, and this was kind of the first breakout game. And uh, after, after the game, uh, they're interviewing him. ABC Monday Night Football is interviewing him. And I'm like Brett so uh, what's it feel like he's like and this is going to be my terrible Brett Favre impression he's like <laughs> I can play I know I can play um people ask can 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 Brett Favre play at 40 years old I know I can play um it was so it was great to, great to hear him and he was uh do you remember he was gray already
2: by that point
1: mhm
2: yeah 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 and and for those of you who uh who are like not interested in NFL or, or even Vikings maybe of this was the highest-rated cable television show of all time. Uh, now, since then, that may have been eclipsed, but uh, this 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 did make a cultural impact. A lot of people tuned in for this game. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, other than that, how was your Easter? Uh, what, what's the chocolate consumption rate in your house?
2: Uh, not not as high as you might think.
1: No, you you are all pictures of moderation. Indeed. Yeah. So we uh I we decided um to say to the kids as sort of a picture of grace that um and as a model of Easter as a feast day um that on Easter we were we were what they could have whatever they wanted. And I'd actually been inspired by that, inspired to do that by a mutual friend of ours Uh, David DeQuattro, who several years ago had tried that with tried that with his daughter Giovanna, who at the time was probably uh, three or four or five, and uh, he was describing um, how it worked for him, and uh, and he said, I he said at the end of the day, he and his wife kind of looked at each other in in horror, kind of as they looked at wrappings strewn about the house, and they said, uh, I don't think we're doing that again. Um, I told that story to my children. to to brew has to use humor to make a point that um, maybe to not go over the edge too much and they didn't, they were fine, they were fine, they ate a lot they ate a lot, but no one got sick, so Um, but as a result, they're kind of out of their Easter candy already so Mm. Christopher. Should we uh, should we go ahead and uh, look at the gospel for next week? Let's do it. All right.
2: Do you want me to read it? I've got it. I've got it up here.
1: Yeah. So, um, what is the typically for uh, the second first week following Easter Sunday? What is typically the gospel, Christopher?
2: Uh, it's typically Thomas Sunday. Uh, the gospel comes from John chapter twenty, verses nineteen through thirty-one, and I believe that is years a b and c is it not that's my understanding yeah yeah and it's funny how quickly i forget things that i read um but yeah we uh that that, that's the first sunday the second sunday uh is um a road to emmaus uh third is and which is only in luke of course um, the third, I don't remember the fourth is good shepherd. Um, and so it'll vary between, um, the first and the second, uh, part of, of Jesus teaching for, I am the good shepherd from the book of John. Uh, but, but yeah, like there, there's a definite sequence in the, in the weeks of Easter, um, that, that every, every year, at least the first five or so are, are kind of the same.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think, um, without looking at it, I think that, Easter Sunday evening. Um, it's the road to the Emmaus is the reading there. Um, but I love, uh, through, through the weeks of Easter, I love the uh, various resurrection appearances. Mm-hmm. I love how the lectionary does that. Um, and it does capture the sense that, um, there are multiple appearances in the gospels after Easter day. And, um, and, the shock Jesus suddenly appears again to the disciples and the beauty of that. There's a lingering effect that I always liked. Um, and, uh, and that Easter as a season recognizes that, that there, there is this period of time when our Lord is with us resurrected before his ascension. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's a tenderness to those appearances too, that I like. So,
2: and, we, uh, and for, for anyone who, who is, for whom the liturgical calendar, uh, someone who's not foreign, uh, this is foreign to them. Easter, uh, is not just, uh, an event. It's not just a day. Um, in fact, it's an entire season. It's a 50 day, uh, season. Um, and, uh, uh, the first octave, the first eight days, um, Sunday to Sunday are kind of the peak of the celebration. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's a season and, and this is kind of an esoteric point, but, um, even the way we count Sundays within seasons is different than, say, in ordinary time or other things, and and so we say it's the second Sunday of Easter, um, because it's within the Easter season, uh, and but then when we get to Pentecost, it, it, we say the second Sunday after Pentecost, um, because Pentecost really isn't a season. Um, we have a season after Pentecost, it, which brings up a really really interesting point that that I heard raised. Uh, An interesting point I heard raised um, about uh, Epiphany, there seems to be disagreement whether or not Epiphany is a season, where some people say Epiphany is just a day, and then it's the season after Epiphany, where we have um, kind of these manifestations of Jesus as the Christ. We have the baptism as the first Sunday after Epiphany. But our new prayer book, interestingly, um, counts it as the first first Sunday of Epiphany. So there's an interesting debate there. Yeah, yeah. Without you know, without explanation, the new prayer book just says "of" rather than "after."
1: Yeah, there there have been variations within within the the various prayer books, um, especially um, the the difference between ordinary time and Trinity tide, and I forget which. Old. was it sixteen sixty two and twenty eight would say Sundays after Trinity. I'm 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 uh, mm-hmm. betraying okay. the ordinary here, yeah. so I should yeah. just stop. Uh,
2: well, <laughs> uh... maybe, maybe when we get to that that season, we can we can um, delve yeah. into it.
1: Yes. Would you like to read the gospel? Sure.
2: Yeah. So this is John chapter twenty verses nineteen through thirty-one. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, "Peace be with you." When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, saying, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. the gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Christ. So, Christopher, um, what are your thoughts as uh, you read that passage?
2: I mean, there's a lot here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of, of course, uh, at the very beginning, pointing out that this is the... Uh, verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day, this is this is Easter. Uh, and um, so especially when we have, we always want to read any part of the Bible in context to get the best understanding of it, to read what comes before, to read what comes after. Uh, it, and, and so what we have for the Easter reading, Easter morning reading right before this is we have uh, Mary Magdalene going to the tomb. Uh, she sees that the stone is rolled away. And so she goes back and she gets Peter and, and John, John, the writer of the gospel. And they run to the tomb. And John gets there first, and John sees the stone rolled away, but he doesn't go in. Uh, Peter gets there a little bit later. I, I don't know how much time has elapsed, but Peter goes right on in, and he sees the burial cloths there. And uh, just to set the table here, um, the way that we see those the, the, the language describe the, the cloths that wrapped up his body, um, that they are still like essentially – it's not that they're crumpled on the floor. It's not that they're folded. We see the head cloth, the cloth covering his head, that that was folded up. But but the, what wrapped up his body seems to be almost in the same position as if uh, – it wasn't unwrapped, but as if Jesus' body passed right through these burial cloths. Mm. Um, and at that point, John seems to realize what has happened, um, that, that that Jesus is raised but it's interesting we don't see him communicate that to Peter and we see them go home and then Mary Magdalene uh, had followed them back um, to the tomb and she's there and and she after the, the men are gone she looks in so the men don't actually see the resurrected Jesus first Mary does she looks into the tomb and she sees two angels one where Jesus' head would have been and one where his feet are and they look they turn and they look at her and they're like why are you crying? And uh, in, in my Easter sermon, which which was neat, Kirk, that your family was able to, to yeah, to, to join in for our Zoom uh, Easter service. Um, I pointed out just like uh, Mary Mary Magdalene doesn't necessarily remark uh, much about the fact that angels are standing there talking to her. Um, she just has a conversation with them, and, and these angels um, look at her and they're just like, uh, "What? Why are you crying?" And and you know we can. Speculate as as to the what's behind that question, or even the tone of how that's asked. Um, But but uh, she's like, well, uh, I'm looking basically. She's like, I'm looking for the body of Jesus. Like they've taken my master, and I don't know where they put him. Uh, So even John's discovery uh, or or realization that Jesus is raised, he doesn't share with her. Um, But uh, there she is at the tomb. She's still. Okay, so she's like, okay, you guys can't help me, whatever. She turns around, she sees someone else. And she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. Uh, a number of reasons for this, uh, p- possible reasons. Could be um, that uh, she was kept from recognizing Jesus, which is common in these resurrection appearances. It could be that Jesus looked different. Um, that, that we know that, that the resurrection body is, is, is a little bit uh, different in, just in quality, in that um, it, it is a body that will not decay. Um, or it will never die. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so even though it bears the marks of, of the spear in the side and, and the, 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 uh, the marks in the hands of, from the nails, uh, it's possible that it just looks a little bit different. So I don't, I don't know what that means, but she does not she doesn't recognize him. Um, and so she says, uh, how about you like gardener person, uh, where, where they put Jesus and, um, and uh, it isn't until he calls her by name. And that's, there's an interesting almost – I don't know if this is an allusion to the idea that, that the good shepherd we see uh, when Jesus teaches uh, – is that John 10? Uh, I'm the good shepherd. Um, or John 11, somewhere in there. Uh, that, that he calls his sheep by name, and they know him. They know, that they know his voice. Uh, we see him say her name, and then she realizes, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, and he is risen. Um, and, and so she, uh, so she returns, um, and I actually don't have that, uh, text right in front of me. Um, uh, and so I don't remember, does, does, uh, does she necessarily tell them, um, and do they maybe not believe? Because, uh, we have to actually jump to this later in this day. Um, it's one interesting point that I think is lost is that, um, this is... We often call Thomas doubting Thomas, but the disciples don't necessarily believe until they have the same standard of proof that Thomas has, right? That, in fact, he appears to them, and he showed them his hands and his side in verse uh, uh, verse 20. Um, it's, it's not until that point, necessarily, that they believe. So even though John knew and potentially had... had a witness to them and, and certainly Mary Magdalene uh, knew um, that the rest of the disciples don't necessarily believe until they actually um, see him in the flesh. So I'll, with that kind of started, I'll, I'll, I've monologued a little bit. I'll uh, kind of turn it over to you. Yeah. Um. So
1: my thoughts, Um. this is, this is a wonderful passage um, because we see it every year on this Sunday. So there are some passages you only get every third year. Um, so this has become wonderfully familiar, um, and it has happy associations because it's a resurrection appearance. Um, there's a, a, a redemptive moment for Thomas, and I think many people love that. Sometimes this is this is called casually Thomas Sunday, or the Thomas reading, or Doubting Thomas, and that's kind of um, what people focus on in this reading. And yet, what's what's captured my thoughts and my imagination um, are, are are different. Parts of the passage, and I was really sent down a particular rabbit hole seven or eight years ago, when I uh, I, I was reading John Calvin's commentary on uh, John twenty, and John Calvin is a magisterial magisterial Reformation theologian, a Swiss theologian um, who is um, the, one of the great guiding lights for a most reformed church bodies. So um uh Presbyterians, almost all Baptists, even I would say most, the majority of evangelicals. Sure, yeah. Um, and, and a true, a true giant of a scholar. Um, but I think uh, that his commentary would shock a lot of people if they read his commentary in John 20. Um, because what he said is um the 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 apparent meaning of uh 19 through uh 19 and uh, let's see 19 and 20 um, isn't true um, that it, it's apparently a miraculous entry but that can't possibly be true um, he doesn't want to be cornered into acknowledging that the resurrected Jesus can appear anywhere um, that he can walk through walls um, and there's a reason why uh, we, we'll get into that in a moment and that shocked me um, and uh, and so, Let's back up. Um, the reason why it shocked me is um, what's uh, what's going on here is a Christological intuition. And so let's let's just define a couple of terms. And um, I will uh, I I promise uh, I won't keep this boring. I've said to other people that are, one of the goals on this podcast is no fluff, yet no arcana, <laughs> no esoteric. Mm-hmm. So this is not going to be esoteric. This is not going to be. Um, uh, a theology uh, lesson. Um, I I am a, a a teacher by trade, a, uh, a philosopher by uh, by training, and not a theologian at all. So, um, what the- theology I'm doing here is uh, is very lay theology. All right, um, but Christology is uh, the um, look reading the Bible and looking at the nature of Christ. And so the early Church Fathers and the Church Councils, particularly in the Council of Chalcedon, came to this understanding of the Scriptures, that um, that Christ is one person of the Trinity, um, but has two natures, divine and human. And this was a rejection of a view that Christ had um, two persons, a divine person and a human person, but rather just one person. Um, but that he has two natures. Um, So the word, every time you see that in the Gospel of John, um, the word is eternal, and that would be God's, uh, the second person of the Trinity's divine nature. Um, And at the incarnation, um, when Jesus is incarnate of the Virgin Mary, um, the word takes on flesh, and um, Christ then has a human nature as well. And um, there are, kind of two errors that as we read the Bible and as we pray and as we think and talk and grow together as Christians that we need to avoid when we do Christology. Um, one is Eutychianism, which is um, kind of seeing Jesus's humanity lost in a, an ocean of divinity. Um, so an example is, and if you, you've ever seen children playing with Plato, they open the, the, the Play-Doh very excitedly, right? And the yellow container is just pure yellow, right? And the blue container is just pure blue. But half an hour later, what's happened to the blue and the yellow is they've sort of sickeningly all mashed together. And um, and and you'll never be able again to get the yellow back or the blue back. They're this new thing that's neither yellow nor blue. Um, and so that's the Eutychian view of Christ. And that that we, we need to be careful that we don't assume or talk about Jesus' humanity as if it's lost in a sea of divinity. But the other error is Nestorianism, which is that Jesus' human nature was this thing that was temporarily stapled on to his divine nature at the incarnation and can be peeled right back off. Right? So this would be if we assume that when he ascended to the Father, he he kind of left his human nature back on earth.
2: Or or that like when he died, you know, uh it was the the human part of him that died and you know the divine yes. you know it's it's yeah, we you can get into trouble when when you Yes talk about the separation of the natures, yeah. That's right.
1: Um so
2: I asked myself
1: as I read Calvin's commentary, why would why would someone ever uh want to um deny that Jesus could have appeared in that upper room um uh, miraculously? And it's because he wants to avoid having to say that at Holy Communion, um, Jesus bodily appears in the bread and the wine. Um, and uh, and I, I'm not going to read his commentary. I did pull it up here. Um, he says something. Um, let us not say in error as the papists do, <laughs> that Jesus' body can appear anytime and anywhere. Um, and that's that was interesting to me and i i thought why why would why would we uh, why would he be concerned about that so um i i just want to uh i i thought about that and uh i i thought who should i read who should i read on this and um and so i looked at a couple of people i looked at Cyril of Alexander, who is a um, an author that was um cited at the council of Chalcedon.
2: of, al- of, of alexandria yeah.
1: Yes, that's right of Alexandria, yeah. and I looked at one of our own, um, Richard Hooker, who was an Elizabethan cleric and who wrote a, a book on ecclesiastical the laws of ecclesiastical polity, and I wanted to read his Christology, and he is a um, a subtle and interesting thinker, and so, uh, the, the the other view is um, is that uh, Jesus at his resurrection, um, his his divine nature, all the attributes of his divinity, um, omniscience, omnipresence, um, were communicated to his human nature, to his humanity, and that's called the communication of attributes, um, which John Calvin rejected. Um, So John Calvin said that um, the human nature of Jesus only retained, uh, continued to retain human limitations, um so that struck me as interesting and that has all kinds of implications um and I don't want to go into that um uh good Christians uh, agree and disagree on that um but the implication that it has for us is um how does Jesus risen ascended and glorified um how does he how does he meet us today and uh and depending upon whether you have um a calvinist intuition uh, that his human nature still has that spatial limitation, um, you, will, you are likely to say that the body of Jesus remains at the right hand of God the Father. And so when he is present, which he promised to be when he said, lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age, he is present with believers only in his divine nature. Um, but if you believe um, that Jesus' glorified body um reacquired all of the attributes that he laid down in his humiliation. Um, uh, the humiliation of Christ is what theologians talk about when they say he became incarnate and became vulnerable like a human, right? So the Jesus that we read in the Gospels, he can't read the future, right? He he says only the Father knows, for example, right? So there are some divine attributes that he lays down in his incarnation. Um, but if you believe that both in his human and divine nature, he takes those back up, um, then Jesus can be bodily present to believers at Holy Communion or in the upper room. So there's generosity and breadth. Um, certainly, Christopher, in our tradition, in Anglicanism, um, the articles don't kind of demand you take one stance or the other. Though I think it's, it's fair to say when you look at um, the Tudor divines uh, who wrote the prayer book, and uh, you look at Richard Hooker and Thomas Cranmer, um, they certainly do, Calvin's thinking is lurking underneath. So I did read um, the portion of, uh, this morning, I did read uh, Hooker's portion on Christology of his ecclesiastical laws, and he does something interesting to try to be generous and broad to both <laughs> the uh, the Calvinist Reformed, and uh, on the one hand, who believe that uh, Jesus in his human nature cannot be bodily present to the believer, and to be um, also open to Lutherans and Catholics who believe that Jesus's bodily nature, his human nature, reacquired all the divine attributes, and so he can be bodily anywhere. Um, And what he says is something interesting. Richard Hooker says that he he agrees with Calvin um, that um, the human nature cannot uh, acquire divine attributes, but he uses this particular word Um, he introduces a third category. He says um, that the human nature is not, doesn't acquire the divine attributes, but that it is conjoined. Um, And I think this is lovely um, in that the human and the divine Christ are no longer separate. And so one doesn't kind of bleed over into the other um, as in our Plato analogy, right? (laughs) The blue doesn't become yellow and the yellow doesn't become blue. The two natures remain distinct and yet, but yet, um, in his glorified body, they are conjoined, and uh, and so in a way, and this is kind of something that our tradition does. We don't try to over-explain communion. Um, uh, in in a way, we can't explain that he is present, and so I thought that was that was, that was very interesting. This passage does get thrown around a lot um, and analyzed a lot when when looking at um, kind of the presence of Jesus. Um, and before I move on, I, I I feel like my thoughts were clear in my head um, when we went into this, and I feel like I rambled a bit. Do you have anything to say before we move on? Because I have something yeah. to say as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, just just that. Um, everything that Kirk just said is is actually quite important. And it may, if, if it seems really um esoteric and and just uh, yes please detached please yeah, um, <laughs> I would just encourage you. Uh, like this, this stuff does matter. Like this like Christology does matter, like who is Jesus? Um, and, and so if this seems really, really abstract, and, and I don't understand why it's important, I, I would encourage you just to to, to Google uh, Christological heresies um, and see if you can just look through. There, there are a bunch of them the church had to work through early on, and then they met at what we call ecumenical councils where they called all the bishops together. And, um, I mean, the church almost entirely bought into um, – an uh, early heresy that Jesus um an uh, early Christological heresy that that the church had to deal with at the uh council of Nicaea and um some really important work had to be done to kind of re um win the church to uh this this orthodoxy that Jesus was um uh, and they t- they talk about um uh, uh substance um divine nature and substance and all that stuff is very very important um i'm not gonna re- repeat it here um but but both uh the results of the cult council of nicaea and um uh the, the of chalcedon and the chalcedonian definition are are both really really important um in rejecting that the heresies um and and talking about um uh christ and his nature um and all, all this stuff does matter so if it I would say just spend some time kind of googling around and reading up on it, um, yeah, and and yeah. Um, as, as someone who uh, is a pastor and, and I really want to encourage people to uh, understand these things uh, on their own as they're reading scripture, um, and as someone who who appreciates the work of John Calvin as a reformer, um, even I, though I'm not a Calvinist myself, um, I, I think he he's a really good theologian that each of us can learn from. Um, I, I think he's probably guilty of some what we call asejesis. Uh, in this case, um where we want to do the work of exegesis we want to draw out um the meaning of scripture um using that text rather than um taking a presupposition and and kind of pushing that into the text, reading that into the text and and so uh, there's no really good textual um explanation for saying that jesus had to find had to find a window unless you've already decided in your mind that that yes. like he has to because he because like he physically can't um, where, where um, the, the the language of the text, both with the grave cloths and um, this room, uh, almost every, almost any scholar is going to acknowledge that there's something um, supernatural about this resurrection body of Jesus. The limitations uh, that it had previously um, were not present with this body, that, that it could disappear up here, um, pass through doors or whatever.
1: That's right. And I, I respect that uh, people have, different intuitions i was talking about this one time with um a mutual friend of ours uh, father andrew de fusco and and i thought um that of course i had uh, i had kind of the better argument and i i chuckled to him i was like can you believe that 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 kelvin kelvin read it this way and that he believed it and he, he said he kind of um gently lovingly put me back in my place and said um yeah <laughs> um so uh,
2: like yeah he can't uh, can believe it that that, that uh, a scholar as good as Calvin would say. <laughs> that's, um, right. Yeah, that's right
1: yeah um, th- so there was one final one other final thought I had as I looked at this um that's interesting and it's the uh it's the the reception of the Holy Spirit um uh, where we see in let's see here 22 verse 22 and 23 he breathed on them and he said receive the Holy Spirit um, uh, Lancelot Andrews, a, uh, the Bishop of Winchester in the 17th century, um, he, uh, he preached a great sermon on this pointing out three great, um, uh, crescendoing revelations of the Holy Spirit in the gospels that first at Jesus' baptism, um, as a dove, then here as breath, and then at Pentecost as full wind and fire. Mm. <laughs> And so we have, a, we have a revelation, a proceeding from the Son in gradual building power. Um, in baptism, first to make believers, then here to empower apostles, priests, and bishops to, to be Christian makers by giving them the power to baptize. And then in Pentecost here, in, 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 uh, after the ascension, then the full gifts— of the spirit in, in the full power of fire and wind. And, uh, so that was beautiful. Um, Christopher did, did anything, was there any echo of this in your ordination ser- uh, service when you were ordained?
2: Echo of, of,
1: of this moment, receive the Holy spirit.
2: Ah, uh, I, I would have to look at the liturgy of it, of of it. I would have to look at the liturgy of it to to see what it is that the the bishop says when he places his hands on me. Um, I mean, you know, another time a bishop places his hands on you, of course, is at at confirmation when you're confirmed into the church. Um, And and, and there's interesting in the book of Acts – there are these disciples of John the Baptist and they asked them, they said, you know, did you receive the Holy spirit uh, when you're baptized? And they're like, what? We didn't even know there was a Holy spirit. And so, yeah. um, so they went there and they like laid hands on them and, and like they received the Holy spirit in the laying on of hands. And so it's interesting how, um, they're, you know, we see Jesus breathing here, but we see also the, this apostolic like laying on of hands that, that we do have today, both in confirmation and in ordination.
1: Yeah. Um, this is often called the the keys, right? The keys of the kingdom, the power right. to forgive, the power, the power to withhold sins.
2: Well, in the synoptic gospels, yeah. Yep.
1: yeah. Have you ever withheld sins? I have not. I'm being goofy, but yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff here. If I could do, um, I know we're getting kind of late in the podcast, but uh, just some drive-by commentary. Um, uh, what, what Jesus says to them. Peace be with you. Uh, you've probably heard the, the term shalom. Um, it's it's this Hebrew word that it means a lot more than just peace. Um, it's it's this this sense of um, kind of uh, kind of completeness. Um, and uh, really, it's it's interesting reading Paul's work, um, particularly in the book of Romans. Uh, Romans five chapter uh, verse chapter five verse one, you know he says therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ so this peace that Jesus gives each of the commentators. really points us out as significant in that, like, um, it's, this is for real this time that like peace has been made with the father because of the work of Jesus. This isn't just a greeting. So Paul, Paul would start his letters, oftentimes grace and peace. And it would have been a common greeting in that era, but this is more than that. There's, it, it is qualitatively different the peace that Jesus brings on this evening. And also there, there is an apostolic sense here. Um, and um, in each of the the post-resurrection appearances in, in the Gospels, in each of the Gospels, there is this sense of, of, of being sent um, that, that Jesus says, uh, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Uh, and we talked uh, – just I think we mentioned that I'm a church planter. Um, and, uh, a big part of church plants and church planting, um, is this, is fulfilling this apostolic call, this, this, this call to go and make disciples. Um, and, and in fact, that, that is the work of each Christian. And that's something that, uh, that we will certainly talk about in coming episodes of, of that, that we are called and equipped to make disciples. Um, and, and that is integral to our discipleship, the, the idea that like, um, We are following Jesus isn't just us sitting at the feet of Jesus, absorbing his essence uh, through word and sacrament. Um, We are also sent out into the world um, to be uh, salt and light um, uh, to the world. Um, uh, Yeah. Thomas is really unfairly treated, I think, um, especially with him being called doubting Thomas. Right. Uh, and I pointed out earlier that like um, everyone else was given the same standard of evidence. We just happen to see him here saying, I'm not going to believe unless I see. Um, but but interesting what Jesus does is that he meets him there, right? Yeah. Jesus isn't like, oh, oh you, is, is this what you want? Okay, well, like I'm going to deny this. Like Jesus comes to him and, um, and, uh, and of course, uh, Thomas isn't the only—let's um, just not heap scorn on him for this. Th- Thomas um, was, was a great apostle, um, spreading, spreading the gospel throughout uh, the world. Um, the church tradition says he went all the way to India um, planting churches, and, and there are Indians today um, that call themselves Thomas Christians. Um, uh, his confession is the fullest confession. He says, my Lord and my God. It's the fullest confession we have in any of the Gospels. So um, it's interesting that that comes from the the mouth of someone that we uh, almost scornfully call Doubting Thomas, um, when in fact, you know, he should be called Believing Thomas. Um,
0: And, uh, you know,
2: I'll I'll kind of uh, point out one more thing and then I'll kind of toss it back to you for for comments. And and that is just the verses 30 and 31 are... Are incredible. Um, yes, because of yeah. course, of course, Jesus did many things, um, and we, as Christians, uh, we we believe um, because of the resurrection um, that that there, there are many failed prophets that we've never heard of, and and had Jesus been just a, another uh, prophet who had had come and, and promised to do this or that uh, and failed and remained in his grave. Um, each of these disciples, they would have gone back to their old jobs. Um, but mm. instead w- they witnessed this power, not only during his life, but, but victory over, over death and the grave. Um, and because of that, each of these men besides John um, went to the ends of the earth and, and, and they were martyred for their faith. They were, they were killed. Um, because they they would not stop proclaiming um, what they had witnessed with their own eyes. They could not do that. Um, and th- th- this is why these things are written in this book. Um, he, John could have shared all sorts of other miraculous, amazing things. Um, but these are written. Why? Like, why did he write this book? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Uh, you know what a beautiful kind of mission statement for John. Like, well, what does he want hmm. for you, Kirk? What does he want for you, listener? He wants yeah. you uh, after reading this to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name.
1: Um, I've actually used this verse, uh, John uh, twenty thirty one, as um, to teach my children kind of the point of it all. Mm-hmm. Right? Why yeah. Why do we learn the Bible? Why do, we, why do we memorize Bible verses? Why do we read the Bible? Um, we read because these things have been written so that we may believe in the Son of God and in so have eternal life. Mm. Um, it, it, it whittles it all down to the mm-hmm. very heart of the mother, the mm-hmm. very essence. What a wonderful reading. Um, let's move on to uh, to a brief culture segment and talk about the question of zooming in the modern church. Um, Christopher, you're a priest. Huh. You've had to figure out in a hurry what to do when you can't meet any of your parishioners.
2: Mm-hmm. Can you
1: talk to us a little bit about this strange landscape?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to really talk during this segment with with humility and with grace, um, saying that what we've decided to do is, is what we have, have discerned is right for our context. So it's not criticism really of, of what other people are doing, Sure, but, um, yeah, w- when this crisis hit, uh, we had to, to very quickly scramble and decide what does, what does Lord's day worship look like for us? Um, that, that going back to the very earliest Christians, um, they gathered on the first day of the week for word and sacrament, uh, and and how do we um, kind of faithfully continue that um, in, in an era where we're uh, out of love for our neighbor um because you know we we could just uh, bite our... Th- or thumb our nose, whatever metaphor we want to use, um, at, at, uh, social distancing guidelines and say, no, we're gonna, you know, the, the, we have the first amendment, the government can't regulate this. Um, but, but we are, uh, we are saying as a church that, that, um, out of love for our neighbors, for the most vulnerable among us, knowing that, uh, yeah, certainly the healthy and young among us could meet without consequence, um, we, we want to protect those who are immunocompromised or who are elderly or, for whatever reason, would be susceptible to this virus, which is deadly. And so we decided uh, not to meet uh, one of our our diocesan values. Every church in our diocese uh, claims the same um, set of values. And and one of those is that we are willing to sacrifice for the sake of, of others, for those who don't know mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, and And we're willing to sacrifice in that way to not be together. And so kind of an interesting thing that has come out of that is, is, it's you know, it's funny how you appreciate the things that you don't have. And that's exactly what uh, I think so many people have taken for granted going to church every week that um, during this period, people just really miss. Like, do you remember when we could go to church whenever we wanted? That was so great uh it, <laughs> really really miss gathering together um and, and that that is a good thing that has come out of this is that we, we really took it for granted that the idea that um that, that we could meet freely and you know without threat to our health uh where there, there are parts of the world where the church is persecuted and and um and maybe they can't meet weekly or they meet in secret or at great threat to themselves or um in parts of the world you have to walk 10 miles maybe to get to church um and so uh that that's kind of an interesting thing um, that's come out of it. But um, what we discerned uh, is that we didn't want like, and, and I, I don't want this to sound wrong, but like a mutual friend of ours has, has referred to other, other churches as press play church. And, um, <laughs> and in, in normal times there would be churches that would gather and they would press play and they would kind of watch a service that was happening at another place. And um, I do in ordinary times i i'm i'm firmly against it like so there are many i um, kind of campus churches that may do music locally but but um they they have a, a sermon preached elsewhere that they um, stream and um to me that doesn't seem all that right uh, you know i think that god gives gifts to leaders locally um you know so you may have a church of 500 or 5000 um and, and i think that whatever happens at a church elsewhere that can be replicated. God, God's gifts for our leaders um, can happen at a, at a multi-campus church um, without having to like have your super pastor um, preach at, at the main campus and then stream that out. So um, w- with that kind of as a value in normal times, in, in this era, I didn't want to say, oh, hey, everyone, watch this video. Now, uh, we also are, are prayer book people. So um, we have a, a prayer book in which um, we encourage people to do family worship. For people to open that up and to worship together as a family, and so ch- some churches I get, have opted for that to say um, maybe not with a prayer book, but to they'll they'll have like a liturgy online where you kind of like click a, a, a click play and then you kind of sing along to a song and then uh, it'll ask it'll do like a reading and then maybe uh, a responsive reading among your family and then oh, maybe a prayer you. and then you click another button and you hear the sermon. Yeah. So I would say there are three kind of main models: is that there's one of the of the kind of pre-recorded thing that's broadcasted um, that, 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 that to me seems very um, if, if, if you're watching that, that seems more passive to me. And I think what we talked about uh, liturgy is the work of the people that we ought not to, to just observe other people worshiping, but we ought to join them in worshiping. Um, And so, so the option one would be to pre-record and send that out. Option two would be to um, encourage people to kind of worship, like get, equip them to worship on their own, which um, I, I never want to tell people not to do that. But I think there's, the, uh, we chose for option three, which is a zoom service um, for the reason that like, we want a sense of like the assembly. Of course, the, 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 the word church uh, is ecclesia in Greek, which, which essentially means the assembly. Like the church was the assembled people of God. Um, and, and uh while we're in different homes, we can still gather together at the same time over technology. It, of course it doesn't uh, replace in any sense. Um, but, but for, for our context, it's the best we can do. So uh, we, we have a link that, that uh, you are free to join at our Sunday yeah, morning, 10 AM yeah, central yeah. um, resurrection com. Uh, there's a link on our homepage to join us at 10 AM. We, and, and this is a live service and, uh, the second Sunday in the middle of my sermon, my internet went out (laughs) and thankfully (laughs) people um, patiently waited for my, like three minutes I was back up and I was like, all right guys, where was I? And I finished my sermon. Uh, And, uh, but, but we have a a full uh, service and um, it's not, it's not the same as meeting together, but, but it's been, it's been really, really good. And um, did you want to talk about spiritual communion or, or, or should we save that for another week? As we are at an uh, hour.
1: Yeah. Well, let me just uh, comment yeah. on on what you said. Uh, the the pros and cons not being together, um, but yet doing what we can to be as together as possible um, through these screens. Um, and uh, and it's there's a model for this in the Bible, and it's the model of exile. Um, and uh, when when the temple's been torn down, or you can't meet at the temple, or you've been sent into exile, um, God's people didn't give up. The Jews didn't give up. It was just different, and uh, it created in the Jews. And you see um, you see this in in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Ezra, in Nehemiah, in, in so much of the um, the prophetic literature. Uh, you, you see a, a yearning, a, a recognition for what the what. They had, when they had lived in the land um, with the temple, that their uh, their ancestors had not been able to appreciate that. And I wonder, I, I hope that a little bit of that is is um, rattling around our hearts, a recognition of what we had. Um, and I think about uh, Holy Communion, how um, many of us um, have been forced to fast from Holy Communion for a period of time now. Um, we didn't plan on it, it just kind of happened. And, uh, and it, it has created in me and I know in many others, uh, depending upon kind of what pocket of social media you're on and who you, who you talk to and who you bounce ideas off of. Um, that, uh, that yearning, that longing is, uh, is evidence of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Um, and, uh, and it'll make it sweeter when we finally come back. Um, we read in, uh, we read in the Old Testament, um, when, uh, when Judah comes back from exile and uh, they rebuild the temple, um, there are tears that are shed uh, and, and some of it is tears of joy and some of it might've been tears of sorrow because it it wasn't the, it wasn't the same. It was in some ways a pale imitation. But, um, but when we come back out of a, as exile, <laughs> when Cyrus, AKA Anthony Fauci <laughs> mm-hmm. says we can meet again, um, there will be a sweetness to it. And, uh, I, I think, I think that anticipation should color our, our prayer, our scripture reading. Um, and I think maybe we can talk about maybe spiritual communion another time. Given, yeah. You know, yeah.
2: And, and even are. just like what communion is and, and, uh, because, uh, I've had this discussion with, with some people, um, especially some Roman Catholics who uh, kind of resent that people are essentially going online and bragging about um, going to private communions, kind of secret communions.
1: (laughs) So the sense that like some of the body is
2: is getting fed in this way and they're, they're kind of lording that over others and saying like, um, kind of humble bragging, (laughs) like, haha, like I got to get the sacraments. And it's like, that's, that's not the point is like, the point isn't like, uh, it's it's interesting. We we have a lot of teaching on communion in in First Corinthians because the church was totally doing it wrong, and and like this is echoes of that of of the sense of like yeah. uh, you know this is feeding me at the expense of other people. Um,
1: right. So, yeah. Oh, good point. Yes, very good, very good point. So,
2: so I, I think really good thoughts for for later. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this has forced a lot of people to to think more to kind of scratch their heads and scratch their beards, um, about what we actually think and believe about communion what the Bible teaches about it, what our, what our traditions teach, um, in, in ways that we haven't. So I think that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Anything that forces us to read the Bible and pray more and think mm-hmm. more about a thing mm-hmm. is probably
2: good. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, man. A lot of, a lot of good stuff, Christopher. Shall we, uh, shall we end in prayer?
2: Let's do it. Why don't you, why don't you lead us again this week? All right.
1: The Lord be with you.
2: And with your spirit.
1: Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal Mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in the fullness of his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.
2: Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week, man. Next week. Uh.